Welcome to broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience in Allen, Texas or at church1132.com. White as snow, uh, part three, and our our text has been Isaiah, our verse has been Isaiah chapter one, verse 18. It says, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they will be like wool. And we've been talking about this now, this is the third week that we've been talking about this, is that Christmas was a divine strategy of God to be able to right the wrong in our life. He was able and he was sent, Jesus, to be able to make what once had stained us into white as snow. And we learned last week in justification that it's not just cleansing a stain. It's not just washing it off. Justification is just as if I've never sinned. It is restoring me and returning me. And we learned last week, it's actually not even just a restoration. It's remade. That's what the Bible says, that when we're in Christ, we've been talking about this, we're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. That means he doesn't make me a better version of my old version. He actually makes me a new version of what I used to be. He is going to take my heart of stone and replace it. Not renew it, restore it, remake it, remodel it. He replaces it with a heart of flesh. We talked about redemption. We talked about justification. And this week, uh, we're going to tackle one that is so instrumental and so key to your life as a believer. We're going to talk about adoption. Galatians chapter 4, verse, uh, I think we'll read verse 3 through 7. says, so also... When we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the time set, but set time had fully come, this is really important, it had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This concept of adoption is so key to your spiritual life as a believer, because if we don't understand that we were redeemed to be adopted, then we still live under a mindset of slavery when God has called us to be sons. A slave does things out of obligation. A son does things out of adoration. There's a huge difference. As as a slave, you do things to please the master so you don't get fired. As a son, you do things to please the master because he's your father. There's a love relationship that brings about behavior. It's not behavior that brings about a love relationship. There's a quote that says, justification, it's what we talked about last week, being made right with God through Christ is the primary blessing because it meets our primary spiritual need. But this is not to say that justification is the highest blessing of the gospel. 
Adoption is higher because of the richer relationship with God that it involves. Adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God, the Father, is greater. Is that powerful? Our resident theologian, my wife, Jamie, had that quote, and I stole it from her. This adoption concept takes it to another level. Justification is, thank you, my sins are forgiven. I, I have a fresh lease or a fresh option on life, but Adoption says, I'm bringing you into my family. I'm making you a part of me. This is us together. We're in community. There's love here. Uh, my, my son Jude, my oldest son, Jamie taught him this thing. My wife, she taught him this thing when we first started going to school. We started going to the preschool here at the church. And, and so we would go, and on the way to school, we'd ask him a number of questions. And so, so we would always ask him, uh, Jude, why are you a leader? And he would say, because I'm a Bates. And that's his phrase. If you ask him right now, that is what he'll say. Why are you a leader? Because I'm a Bates. Now, what should tell you something is he is not a Bates because he is a leader. Why are you a leader? Because he is something because of whose he is. He doesn't do something to become. He, he doesn't have to be a leader in order to be a Bates. He's a Bates, and because he's a Bates, he's a leader. This is the concept of adoption that you have to understand. If your Christian life has been all about doing so that you can become a part, it is totally backwards. You've been redeemed, and you have been adopted. That adoption means now that you belong, now you can begin to behave. I don't behave so that I can belong I belong, and out of gratitude now to God, I begin to live differently. This is, if you ask him, he, he, this is just like, this is natural to Jude. It's just who he is. He just responds that way. He knows it. But the things that he does or does not do does not remove his last name. What he has as a name is his name. And he better respect it, and he better be proud of it. Better live up to every expectation. No, I'm not uh, too far. But his name says he's associated with a family. The scripture in, in verse 4 that we read in Galatians, it says, But when the time, when the set time had fully come. This is key because there are hundreds of prophecies speaking to the coming of Jesus. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophecies prophecies speaking about a Messiah that would come. There are actually 353 prophecies that are said in the Old Testament speaking specifically to, to the Messiah coming. And Jesus fulfills all 353 of those prophecies in the New Testament. Old Testament is prophesied, New Testament it is fulfilled, 353. So you have to think about this, when God orchestrated his divine strategy, when he set things into motion, it wasn't just when Jesus was born. He had to go way before that. He had to go way before that. Because the prophecy said that 
Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem. The Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem. That's interesting, and it's often, it's actually difficult because Jesus didn't live in Bethlehem. He lived in Nazareth. So it just so happened there was a census, and Jesus' descendants came from Bethlehem, so they had to go to Bethlehem to check in. It just so happened that Mary was pregnant and gave birth to Jesus at the very time they were in Bethlehem so that we could say that the Messiah was born in Bethlehem, but he was from Nazareth. He, he was born of a virgin, the Bible says. It says that she conceived by the Spirit of God. That's great. Can you imagine that conversation? Mary's like, hey, uh, Joseph, I'm, I'm pregnant. He's like, you what? We haven't, we, what, whose is it? it? It was an angel. He's that good? I mean, like, you called him an angel? It's like, wait, what? I mean, come on. You, you, know, you start to put this thing together like, what? I mean, Joseph had to really believe that, I cracked myself up by that. Uh, he, he. And I wanted to go further, but I just stopped right. Just move on. He had, he had to believe that Mary saw this angel and that she conceived by the angel, by the Spirit of God. And then the angel comes to Joseph and they begin to. But the timing on this is so important because it had to happen when they were having the census in Bethlehem. If he was born in Nazareth, everything would have been ruined. He was from Nazareth. But he had to be born in Bethlehem. This is what the prophecy said. So when this scripture says, when the set time had fully come, this is what it's talking about. Christmas was designed. It was set up as strategy. The next part of the scripture says, God sent his son. At just the right time, God says, it's time. Jesus, it is time. It's time to go. He seized the opportunity, and we learned this in the first part, to buy us back, to redeem us. And this is what we've been talking about, that Christmas is more than a holiday. It is a divine strategy. Christmas is a divine strategy of God exhibiting his great love for you and for me, saying that I don't want to see you in bondage. I don't want to see you on the shelf of slavery. i got to have relationship with you. i got to know you, and it's not enough just for me to buy you. I'm going to buy you, and I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to bring you into my family. You are not going to be a wanderer. You're not going to be a slave, and you're not going to be an orphan. You are going to be sons and daughters of the Most High God, so that everything you do now comes from a position of sonship instead of a position of yearning or striving or working. Our salvation does not come by the works that we do, but by the faith in the Son of God. And from that premise comes everything else. Verse 5 says, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So this is what this is saying. Our redemption was for a reason. He redeemed us for the sole purpose of adoption. Well, thank you for redeeming me, buying me out of slavery. Thank you for justifying me. Thank you. That, that, that's great. But the reason he did it was so that you could come into his family. The Bible says that God sets the lonely in families. He sets the lonely in families. Which means today, 
whether you're in a family, whether you have a family, whether you're, you're, you're estranged from your family, whether you have pain in your family, God's saying, I love you so much. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to justify you, but I'm also going to adopt you. I'm going to bring you into my name. I'm going to bring you into my. Now you do things because of who you are instead of doing things to try to get to or try to attain a relationship with me. Matthew Henry in his commentary, he says, for he was sent, Jesus, to redeem us. That we might receive the adoption of sons. That we might no longer be accounted and treated as servants, but as sons. And verse 7 says, so you are no longer a slave, but you are God's child. To be adopted, this is interesting, and, and maybe, and I know we have some families in the church that have adopted children and, and uh, done this. I think it's amazing. I mean, it is amazing. To be adopted, this is interesting. When Jamie and I had Jude in Genesis, we got what we got. Just, you know, it just, there it was, you know, like, here, out came Jen, out came Jude, that's what we got. Adoption's interesting because adoption says that there is a choosing involved. It, it, it is not a birthing process, it is a choosing process. So I want you to hear me on this. When God adopted us, he chose us. He, he chose us. It wasn't like, oh, this is what I got? Oh. I mean, come on, like this? I got to work with this? He, he chose us. It's like, you know, Jamie and I, we're not the, like the largest people in the world. Definitely not the tallest. So when I think about Jude and Genesis' future athletic career, it is, it is limited genetically in some ways. I mean, I think they're going to be great. I think they're going to do. But if I had to choose, like if I was just going to go adopt, you know, I'd I might find like about a six, seven, 255-pound, ripped out of his mind, um, black for sure, because um, we know white people are limited, and I mean, this, let's, be, let's be honest about this. Uh, I want an athlete. I don't want to want to be. Um, okay. So, anyways, I would choose... And if you could choose it, if you could choose it, you could pick what you To choose would say, I'm actually, I'm, I'm selecting, I'm designating, I have my eyes on, I have my attention on, I have my focus on. And yes, that's them. I want them. When Jesus came, it was a response to God's choosing. When he, you feel rejected, you feel like God doesn't see you. I'm telling you, Jesus was the response to the longing heart of God that said, I want you. I don't want all of you. I want you. He saw you individually and chose us all. He loved you as an individual as much as he loved all of us as humanity. And he said, I choose you. I want you. I'm going to adopt you. I redeemed you. I justified you so I could have you. I have you. It's not so I can use you. I have you so I can love you. I have you so you can be family. I have you so you can take authority on the earth. I have you so you can take dominion. I have you so you can establish the church of Jesus Christ. I have you so that you can go and heal the sick and raise the dead. I have you so you can be my witnesses into all the world, Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts. I chose you. I loved you. I adopted you. I have you so you can be mine. This is what he's saying with adoption. In Ephesians chapter 1, 
verse 3 through 6 in the message. It says it so beautifully. It's a large passage, so I'll read it to you quickly. But just try to cap- capture this. It says, how blessed is God and what a blessing he is. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in his mind. He had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we are a free people. Free of penalties and punishments chalked up by all our misdeeds. And not just barely free. I love this. Not just barely free either. Abundantly free. He thought of everything. He provided for everything we could possibly need. Letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it out before us in Christ. A long range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him. And everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet earth. Is that powerful to anybody else? To know that we were the, this, this phrase just riveted me. We were the focus of his love. We, we were the focus of his love. I was, I was hunting uh, this year, and um, I was by myself in a tree stand. I'd been out there for a while, and so I hadn't seen anything for a while. So I'm, I got a little bit of ADD, so I just kind of, you know, started to get a little distracted. So I had my GoPro, and I had my camera, I had the gun. And I was, like, trying to figure out how I could switch the, like, adjust the GoPro to look through the scope. So if I did find something, like, I would have it on video, so I'm trying to attach it, and out walks, out, out walks this deer. And I'm like, oh, no, you know, I got everything out, so I'm trying to adjust everything. And I pull up the gun, I pull up the scope, and uh, I got it. And, and, and I can't, it's, it's long ways away, so I can't make out if it has any, like, antlers or not, you know. So I'm like, oh, I don't think, and I, I, I didn't think it did. So I'm fiddling around trying to film this deer, and I have the, uh, I have the, the phone looking through the scope and the GoPro looking at the phone in the scope. And I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. As the deer turns, and it is it, big deer, like a deer I should shoot, and um, sorry for all of you that do not like this, Um, it's just the way, it's just life, okay, and I eat it, it's not just for sport, Um, and so as I realize I can shoot it, I'm like, oh no, I got this whole thing all, all worked out, and I realize that it's completely out of focus because of all the adjustments that I've made to the scope. And I'm like fumbling. I'm like trying to get it right. I lost the focus. I I want you to know this. Is that some of us feel at times like God has lost the focus. It's like we know we are in the crosshairs of his love at some time. But because of something we did, it feels like we've, we've, we've moved out. And now he doesn't focus on us the same way. He doesn't choose us the same way. But I'm going to tell you, the, the love of God is locked on. I'm, I'm t- it is a locked on laser sight. You are in the crosshairs of his love. You're in the crosshairs of his attention. He was focused on you. He was focused on you long before you knew he was focused on you. And he said, I am going to send Jesus so that they can know how much I love them and I can bring them into my family. 
There is a difference between a slave and a son. My concern is that many of us, we serve God as slaves instead of sons. Many, many of us, our worship to God is slavery-minded, not son-minded. It is, we've got to do these things. Some of us, our good behavior is based solely on that because we, we better do it or God's going to be mad. We better do it or we probably can't lead a group or we better do it. Like We better not do that. We abstain from things for the sole purpose of not getting in trouble or not upsetting people or not upsetting God instead of recognizing that our behavior should flow out of relationship of love with him. Let me give you a couple mindsets of a slave. A mindset of a slave is performance to position. This is, this is what we think in our mind, and this is how many of us live our relationship with God out this way, is that if we perform right, we will have a position. If we perform right, God's going to accept us. If we perform right, God's going to bless my new venture. If we perform right, have you ever, you ever been caught up in this? Like you're about to do something big. You're about to take a risk with your business, with your career. You're about to take a risk and you're like, okay, I got to live right. I got to do right. Because I, did you know that how you're living, even if you're making mistakes, even if you're living in sin or in compromise, now it'll, it'll affect your character. It's going to affect your reputation, but it doesn't affect God's love. It, it doesn't affect his favor. When my son Genesis, we were at the mall the other day and, he uh, slid down the slide head first, reckless abandon, and uh, he's going for it. There was a girl still on the slide that was twice his size, but he took her out at the legs, and she went down. I'm standing at a distance, kind of proud, but I realized I was standing next to her mom. She comes running over, Mommy, Mommy, that boy, that boy, and I'm like, this my, that's my boy. Um, so I, I faked concern. I'm like, are you okay? I'm so sorry. He, he gets like that sometimes. He, you know, like, are you okay? Are you all right? And I'm looking at Jen like, that's, that's, that's my boy. You're not getting in trouble. Yeah, I'm good with it. I'm good with it. Did you know that the love I have or the connection I have with him is not based on if he trips a kid or if he doesn't? So, did we still go get lunch after he tripped that girl? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't hold a meal back because of, see, some of us, we think that God's holding blessings back because we didn't do something right. Listen, you were adopted. You were chosen. You were called. We've got to come to grips with the fact that God did what he needed to do to have us. And now our sonship does not depend on our performance. He already paid the price to have us. And I'm not saying we just have the license to sin. I'm saying that when we understand that sinning and compromising and temptation and mistakes and failures don't rob my sonship, then I actually want to please him more. I actually want to turn my attention towards him, my focus towards him, and return back to him out of gratitude for everything that he did for me. Performance to position, and it should be position to performance. I'm positioned as a son, so now I perform out of the security of knowing that I'm his. The second one is behavior to belonging. It's along the same lines, performance has to deal with something we put on. Behavior uh, has to do with something that we adhere to. There's a difference. Performance is something we put. We do this all the time in church. 
we put on. It's performance. And that makes us feel better about our spirituality. Then there is behavior. This is just the code of conduct that you live by. And we think if we live by the right code of conduct, then we will belong to a church, we belong to God, we belong to the people of God, the behavior to belonging. When the same is true for this, it should be backwards that because we belong, then we should behave. It is not behavior to belonging, it should be belonging to behaving. It should be that now I'm a part, now I'm connected, now I belong, now I'm going to begin to behave. The third one is faithfulness to family. Many of us live under this guise of thinking that if we can just be faithful to God, we're not doing anything bad, we don't got wrong code of conduct, we don't have wrong behavior, we don't have wrong performance, we're doing things right, but our mentality is that if we're just faithful to God, then we'll be family to God. So even though we're doing the right things, the motive is to gain something that Jesus already bought for you. The, the motive is to earn something that has been provided for us. Listen, a meal doesn't have to be paid for twice. Your mortgage doesn't have to be paid twice, although you can if you want. You, you don't have to pay for things twice if they've already been paid for. But yet we do this all the time when we try to be faithful to get to family when we should understand that we are family so we get to be faithful. Because God has made us family, now we can operate in faithfulness. But my faithfulness is adherence and response to his love. It is not to try to gain or earn something. I'm telling you, our motives in serving God have become so skewed and we have been so burnt and cheated by wrong theology in the church that we're all trying to earn our way into family, into position. Yet there is, the Bible says there is no way to earn it. It is something that we receive. It is something that we accept. It is something that we become. Romans chapter 8 verse 15 and 16 says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba. That word Abba means daddy. It means belonging. It means intimate. It means connected. Father, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. God did not give you a spirit of slavery. God doesn't make slaves. He makes sons. God makes sons. God makes sons and daughters. He doesn't make slaves. Romans chapter 9, verse 25 and 26, it says, as he says in Hosea, we talked about this in the first week, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. You know what this tells me? That even when we choose to reject it, he still bought us. When we turn our back on him, when we fail him, he still, he still bought us. I was looking at just adoption process, just nat in, in natural adoption process. And I found this. It said that in order for a child to be adopted, then the rights of their actual parents have to be terminated. Actual adoption. The rights of their parents have to be terminated. Do you know what Jesus did when he died on the cross? 
he terminated every right that slavery, that the enemy, that your past, that every fa- he, he canceled every tie that would call you the world's. And he said, no, no, no. And then the second step of adoption is after, after they have severed, made sure that this, the ties have been severed with the original parent, the kid has to be chosen. So we learned this. We are the focus of, so he chose us. And then it says it has to go before a judge. And the name has to legally be changed. I'm going to tell you, the drops of blood that came from Jesus dotted your birth certificate and marked it never to be changed again. You have a new life and you have a new name. You're chosen by God. You're called by God. You're in the crosshairs of his love. You're in the crosshairs of his affection. You're in the crosshairs of his delight. I'm telling you today, he loves you. He loved you so much that he sent Jesus. Christmas was the divine strategy so that you could be found and I could be found. That I'm not just serving God out of all obligation but of adoration because he made me a son we're sons we're daughters we belong it is not something we do to belong we belong because he bought us Luke chapter 15 probably one of my favorite stories in the Bible in the top five for sure it's the story of the prodigal son in this story, many of you know this, is, is the younger son, he asked his father for his inheritance early, and, and uh, he wanted to go spend it on himself. He was selfish. He said, give me my inheritance. He didn't wait for his dad to die, even though it was coming to him anyways. He wanted it. He wanted to spend it on himself. So he took his dad's inheritance. His dad gave it to him. He took his dad's inheritance, and the Bible says he spent it on wild living. He, he, he spent it all until he had nothing left. I'm going to tell you this, this is usually when we come to Jesus. When we spend everything we have on everything the world has, and we find out it's still empty, and now we're still empty. It says that he was actually eating the food that the pigs would eat, trying to survive. The Bible says he came to his senses. The interns have been studying this with Jamie. He says he came to his senses and he he thought about the servants in his father's house. He said, the servants get treated better than what I'm living like right now. I would just go back and be a servant. Jamie was telling me some of the things that they'd studied as interns and some of the commentators and theologians were saying. Some theologian says when he came to his senses, it wasn't a good thing. It was actually a deceitful thing. Because he came to his senses saying, I could just go back and say I'll be a servant. And I could work for what I used to get for free. So I'll just live. It's better than what I have now. So I'll just, I'll get it this. I, I need something, so I'll get it this way. So it says he started back towards his father. We know this story. Many of you have heard this before. He started back towards his father. But the Bible says his father saw him from a long ways off. He saw him from, can you imagine if you had a son and you had great wealth and they took your inheritance and they spoiled it and they spent it. And then he comes climbing back. You would want to let him know what a bad mistake he made. How dare you come walking back in this house, boy. I, I, I gave birth to you. I raised you. I gave you that in here. And you spent it. Like, you need to, be, you need, you need to learn your lesson. says, the father was delighted. Delighted. Says it, he said, get the celebration ready. My son's coming home. He's... 
I mean, people were confused. His own brother was confused. Like, wait, what? We're celebrating for him? We're, we're celebrating this one that ran? We're celebrating this one that, 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 that spent this money? Some scholars, some theologians believe that he actually came back to the Father with wrong motives just to get tended to, just to get provided for. He came back with wrong motives, and the Father still said, come on, come on, baby boy. I'm your dad. This is your house. We're going to throw a party. You coming back here? Come on in. My arms are wide open. Let's celebrate. Let's party. I've been looking for you. I've been waiting for you. My eyes have been on you. I've been watching that road for the last three years, praying that one day you would start walking back home. I don't care if you came back with wrong motives. I don't care if you came back with no money. I don't care if you talk bad about me. I don't care if you had other lovers. I just want you back. And I see you on the horizon. I see you, baby boy. Come on. You got to come home. You got to come home. And he begins to celebrate. And he begins to throw a party because he had him as his son. And he's ready to celebrate that his son was coming home. I'll give you one last thing. That messes me up. That just messes me up. <laughs> you think there'd be some consequence? He says, no, come on. Come on. Am I saying there's no consequence? No, we know there's consequences. In our own life, our own result. But God says, come back. You're a son. I was talking with Donna this, this morning. It's my Dallas Cowboys illustration. She said, did you see that state championship game, the high school state championship last night? I said, I saw some of the highlights. She goes, did you see that Stephen Jones, Jerry Jones' son, his son is the quarterback for Highland Park, and they won the state championship yesterday in the stadium that Jerry Jones built, which that's got to be surreal. You're playing your high school state championship game in the building that your grandpa built. I mean, it's called Jerry's World. So he's like, he's familiar with it. And after the game, he wins, Jerry Jones' grandson, he wins the MVP. They win the state championship. There's reporters everywhere. I don't know if any of you saw this. Reporters, I mean, he is getting surrounded. Like, it's packed in tight. Jerry Jones is there. Stephen Jones is there. The family, they're celebrating. Stephen Jones is losing his mind. Stephen Jones is showing some emotion that I'd like to see Jason Garrett show sometime in his life. I mean, he's like sweating. He's like, I mean, you think he played the game. And, and he's getting interviewed, and I watched a number of interviews this morning. Uh, and, and he's getting interviewed, and they say, Stephen, tell us, tell us. I mean, your son just won the state championship. Tell, tell us this. How does this rank in all of the sports moments that you've been a part of? Owner of the most valuable team in the world, Staz Jerry Jones, multi-multi-bazillionaire. They, they've been a part of so many championships, so many great moments. And Stephen goes, <sighs> overwhelmed with emotion. He's, this, this, is the, this is it. This is the best moment I've ever experienced. I mean, pro for high school. I mean, it's a big deal. He says, it's, it's the biggest. They go to Jerry Jones. You can say what you want about Jerry Jones. I mean, like, Jerry Jones has eyes for Jerry Jones. <laughs> so 
he says, this, this, this is what Jerry Jones says. They said, well, how does this rank according to all the great sports moments you have been a part of? And he says, oh, this, this is the best. It's the best. See, when you have a son in the fight, the fight becomes way, way more. He loves Tony Romo. He does. He really loves Tony Romo. They got something that's just special. It, I'm going to stop. He, he, he does. He, and he, lo- he loves his cowboys. And he, and he, but when his grandson, when his flesh and blood won high school state championship, they are jumping around the field, losing their minds. This is the picture I want you to get in your mind, is that you are his son. And when you win, and when you worship, and when you live, when you give praise, when you lead, when you serve, you got a God in heaven saying, that's it. That's my moment. This is it. This is the best moment I've ever seen. This is the best moment I've ever been a part of. When that prodigal son walked through those doors, that's the best moment. Hands down. I saw his face. I saw him coming. That is hands down the best moment that I've ever been a part of. When you got a son in the fight, you care about the fight. And God cares about you. He cares about everything you're going through. He cares about the fights that you're walking through. He cares about your struggle. He cares about your difficulty. And he has you today in the crosshairs of his love. His focus is completely on you. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com. Only your presence,